So in honor of Apocalypse Rising, the fifth season premiere of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Richard and I are dressed as Klingons. <laughs> and you out there have no way of disproving that because mm. this is an audio podcast. Yes, we could make a video podcast. But then they would know we're not actually dressed as Klingons. Shut up. Well, you just told them. I'm sorry. So, so what did you think? You know something? I mean, definitely between the two episodes we had today, I... I had much more expectations for Apocalypse Rising, but the ship fucking blew it out of the water. And that's interesting because I don't like the ship very much. Oh my god! But the we'll, ship we'll, was one of my was was an amazing episode. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. It's also yeah. hard to say without sounding like you're saying the shit. The uh, shit. The ship was the shit. Yeah, was what you're saying. Well, a lot of shit happened in the ship. I like Apocalypse Rising. Oh for, no, and it for, was. Well, for a number of reasons, I think, number one, I really like the sort of understated nature of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever really in doubt that they're going to expose the changeling that's there. Um, Obviously, it's a little bit of a surprise that it's not Gowron, but probably not. I mean, you know, that was kind of a fake out a little bit. It it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it is the kind of show that could make that uh, it it could make that level of a change, particularly uh, in a in a se- you know in a season finale opener like this yeah. you know if they want if you know i thought that it was it was it was at least possible that they were going to make garon actually be the changeling because he's not a main character really he's a very important character but it, you know they've killed they killed vedic baral for example so Yes and no. I mean, I feel like Gowron is a little more important to, Certain, to Star Trek than Vedic Burial was. But at the and same time... I think that they may have not felt comfortable yeah. killing off a character that was introduced in TNG. You know, it's the well, it's the kind of thing where, you know, that it didn't turn out to be him was fine. But at the same time, the stakes felt real. It did feel like that was on the... It legitimately was on the table for it to Well, be my, my one question for you about Apocalypse Rising and about the reveal that Martok is a changeling is, do you remember who Martok is? That was the problem. That yeah, I certainly... You know, and... Obviously, we've had a lot more time with Gowron. We've seen Gowron's ascent to be Chancellor, frankly. Um, you know, that was a major arc in The Next Generation. Martok, we really only had one episode before. And, and as it turns out, we never saw Martok because presumably he was a changeling then. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it—I it, don't know. It's funny because—so one, one of the little backstory things about this is they really, really— like the actor's name is J.G. Hertzler, and he's great. He appears mm-hmm. in in um, some more episodes. Um, but the thing is, like, because you kind of think, I mean, I'm kind of spoiling something a little bit, but Martok is not really like a main character, so it doesn't matter that much. I don't think you have that yeah. much invested in him. So at some point, the real Martok comes back. Okay. And although, I mean, it, it, to a degree, that does, I am interested in that just in the level of what do the changelings do when they replace somebody? Right, exactly. And and I think it's also, um, it's it's instructive because it does really lay, I think it's a, it's a smart thing for the show to do because... Having it be Galron would have maybe been a little too far, and I think mm. that having it be revealed that Galron is a changeling would have probably left a power vacuum that maybe not would have not yeah. been handled very well. Well, that's and, the thing. If they wa- if they wanted it to be Galron, it would need a lot of. I frankly thought that this was going to be the season arc for for a while. Actually, no. Yeah, it's funny. They wanted to get rid of the Klingon stuff. Like the Klingon stuff, as we talked about in the fourth season, was kind of yeah. imposed on them and. This was kind of a side tangent yeah. that they never really intended to go into. And so this was their attempt to uh, make the show 
yeah, focus yeah, yeah. on the Dominion again. Yeah, because at the end of the episode, you know, while things aren't 100% with the Klingons again, it they saved Gowron's life. So, yes, it's very much left with the, you know, the feeling that, all right, now it's a matter of negotiations. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that at the at the end of last season, of course, it was really implied that, I mean, Gowron had all out declared war on the Federation at that yeah. point. And yeah, you could say, okay, maybe it feels a little unearned that it happens that quickly. But at the same time, I think you have to look at the fact that A, the Klingons of this time period are very different from the Klingons from before. They are a a species in an empire that has been allied with the Federation for, for decades at this point. And that's not something that they're going to throw away lightly. And it seems like Gowron was perhaps not as committed to this war as Martok was. And as we know, Martok is a changeling who's pushing for this war to destabilize the Alpha Quadrant. And, you know... So I like it. It all makes sense. To be fair, that also does put a different spin on the changeling threat because, frankly, they're not even replacing the leader of the planet. They're replacing, you know, somebody lesser than him who we've only seen one time before. And they're causing all this chaos. I mean, really, it is because of Martok that the Klingons of the Federation almost go to war, which would have been devastating. And, you know, just in terms of the chaos that they are able to sow, I do find the Changelings extremely effective villains in that way. Well, yes and no. Well, I mean, their plan kind of worked, but kind of didn't well, work. Well, but I mean, we and I think that's you know, the, their plan isn't going to work until, you know, not ne- you know necessarily for... It's fine that the Federation, that our guys, you know, managed to foil the Changeling plots, but they do, you know, it's very tense how they get to that point. It's not like it's ever easy for them to foil their plots. Well, and I'm actually even thinking about it outside of the episode. I'm thinking about it in terms of the reason why the Federation knew that there was a Changeling in the Klingon, high up in the Klingon Empire, is because they infected Odo with a virus that made Odo go back to the Great Link. And to but, me, it, it's it's interesting because the changelings are seen as very competent and very wily, but at the same time, they make mistakes. They're not exactly well, the the sort of villains that they think they are. I guess my my the t- the implication I got from that, and I don't know if they outright stated this or not, but they made it. You know, I I think it was implied that they the changelings had given Odo kind of some false information. You know, they 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 wanted it to be clear that there was a changeling in the Klingons for some reason, but they wanted them to think it was Gowron. So maybe just as simply as, I mean, if they did think it was Gowron and kill Gowron, um, as you said, there would be a power vacuum I, which would destabilize. I or, mean, I can see that interpretation, but I think that that, that develops a level of... of sort of Romulanness to the to the Dominion that I don't necessarily is there think is there. Mm. Um because to me, yeah, that that scenario would play out as they feed false information to Odo that Galron is yeah. a changeling. The Federation goes in and kills Galron. And then of course Martok assumedly would take yeah. control who was a who was a changeling and uh, uh, would go to war with the Federation. Or frankly, now, if, now, if, if they don't, you know, even if they but, don't succeed and Gowron is proven to be Klingon, that's still a massive problem for the Federation, too. There is a degree to which they no could, matter. Yeah, but that's my problem with that theory is they could have just they could have just kidnapped or killed yeah. Gowron and replaced him. I mean, of they course. don't need to go through all of this stuff. So I I tend to think that they didn't mean to tell Odo anything. Um, you know, but yeah. either way, I don't think it matters all that much, but I just think that it, you know, I actually, I do think it matters because I think it, it shows that the changelings can make mistakes and I yeah. think that that's important. Well, yeah. And I mean, we, we, 
I think these two episodes to a degree show some of the weaknesses in that and maybe, you know, again, we'll talk about the ship in a, mean, in a minute, but definitely both episodes. More, point, more like 20 minutes. Well, um, you know, certainly it ends with the fact that, I mean, the Federation wants to talk and, you know, use diplomacy to a degree, and that's what's going to happen to repair the rift between the Klingons and the Federation at the end. And, you know, once they realize the degree to which both sides are being manipulated, all right, you know, we really shouldn't be fighting each other. And I mean, again, we talk about is DS9 a cynical show or not? Well, it certainly gets dark. And these two are extremely dark episodes. <laughs> but, uh, 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 I, I, and I know it can just get darker. Sure. Oh, you're cute. Uh, um, yeah, I think that, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, Apocalypse Rising to me is the show realizing that it very quickly wants to get out of this Klingon thing. Yeah. It wants to be away from it. And it figures out a really smart way to do it. And now mm-hmm. we're back to the real stuff. Yeah. I think that, you know, calling this episode dark, I think, is probably not where I would go with it. And, I, you know, I, this I, one, I, 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 I would say it's more the second, the next episode than this one. Certainly. Yeah. And I think that this episode almost to me feels like a very lighthearted romp episode in a weird huh. way. All the parts when they're, I mean, seeing them in Klingon, you know, Klingon outfits, the don't get between me and the blood. I like that's great. You know, again, anytime you get to see Avery Books ham it up, he does a really fun job. Yeah. I mean, Captain Sisko pretends to be a great Klingon. Of course, we probably yeah. could, could realize that yeah. before even seeing this episode. Of course, it makes sense that he would be a good Klingon. Uh, uh, Odo does not. You know, it's interesting because I think that Odo probably would have been a good Klingon if he wasn't human. Yeah. Uh, that has really shaken his confidence, and that is no, something that I, that I want to talk about. Yeah. But, uh, and then also, you have O'Brien there who just really is like, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> and um, apparently, Colmini hated the makeup, so they never made him do anything like that again. I can't blame him. For and it. also, he doesn't really make a very effective Klingon. No. You know, they're only, you get the sense he's only there because he's the only one who can do this. But, you know, you'd think he would have been able to delegate, give it to Nunez and, you know, get him. Why didn't they send Jadzia? Was there, did they give a reason for that? I, don't know. I feel like that may have been more would have made more sense, especially because if anybody knows what it has, you know, knows what it, oh, you know, what, like. you know what it probably was. Uh, they probably didn't send Jadzia because, and this is going back to to uh, the development of the show and the trill. Uh, we talked about yeah. this, you know, episodes and episodes ago, probably back in Emissary, that um, 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 Terry Farrell they changed the trill makeup because Terry Farrell was very allergic to the makeup. Okay, so I think that's probably it may why. be a makeup thing. Yeah, but now I'm thinking like, oh, it would have been really cool if Jadzia had been one of the Klingons instead yeah. of O'Brien, for example, who yeah. is fine in this episode, and I, I definitely don't have a problem. No, with no, as a Klingon, but but it, but if you're gonna put it, you know. There are, you know, other characters. You, again, you can see Jadzia being a good infiltrator. You could see Kira being even good at the job because maybe she doesn't know Klingons, but she is good at, you know, this kind of spy shit. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and but, I think – well, yeah. and the other thing I want to talk about before we talk about Odo is is Gold Dukat in this episode hmm. because – I don't know. What do, you, what do you make of what he's been doing since we saw him last? Yeah, I mean – He's I, become some sort of privateer. I think it's kind of cool. I think I like, you know, where Gold Dukat is going. I think it's interesting that, you know, they call Gold Dukat to get this done. You know, again, they're, we've talked about can we trust Gold Dukat or not? And, you know, it's, it's certainly you can trust him only to a point. 
But this is, you know, they do know that when their goals are aligning, you know, they they certainly can work together and be very effective. And this is a very obvious place where their goals are going to align. Why, though? Why are their goals aligned? Well, Caldecott at this point wants to get back at the Klingons for, you know, everything that's happened to Cardassia. And, you know, you know, especially and here is Cisco saying, here's an opportunity to get the Klingons and the changelings, you know, and we'll do it. All you need to do is drive your ship, you know, to a certain to to Kronos. It's something he probably would do anyway. Well, they didn't go to Kronos, but or, I, I don't know. I, I that's the one problem I have with the episode. Yeah. I don't know why Gul Dukat would agree to do this. Well, I don't. You th- because what, I, don't, what reason, I don't. What, what reason would he have to say no? Here's another. Here's a favor. Well, now the Federation him. and the Klingons are at peace, so you know. Yeah. I mean, it just it feels a little weird to me that he would help them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, they obviously needed a way to get there. He yeah, has a word of prey and to remind, but, frankly, and to check back in on him because you know. I we, mean, uh, Gold Dukat is very into the idea of being a privateer against the Klingons. The Klingons and the Cardassians, I think, are officially at war at this point. Yeah. And, um, you know, he doesn't like them. And so, to me, it seems like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, Gul Dukat. I guess Gul Dukat kind of... It feels a little short-sighted in a way that I don't feel like Gul Dukat's character has ever really been established to be. I guess... He's someone who thinks, like, two or three steps ahead, mostly. Well, again, I'm thinking from... I mean, this is the guy who had a series of pre-recorded programs just in case that escalated in tension and violence just in case the Bajorans ever took over Terok Nor. No, 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 no. But again, I I guess to me, I see see this as a total win-win situation for Goldicott. Number one, you know... If if everything goes well, Cisco owes him a favor, and that's you know something that you know Goldicott likes getting favors, likes to have these things that he can pull out, you know. So that's another in his. If the Klingons win and Cisco and everybody is exposed at the end, well, then that's Cisco gone. You know they have been an annoyance to him. If you know all goes if the, if he, they do take out the changing that's leading the Klingons, then. You know, all he's done is, you know, fly his ship and he's got in something major that he would want to do anyway. So I guess I guess and remember, he doesn't think they're going to succeed. No, he gets the fuck out of there. Yeah, exactly. I guess to him, he figures this is a simple, relatively risk free thing that I can do. And no matter what, I come out a little bit ahead of it. You know, well, and that's you know, it's funny you say that because I think that that's true. And I think that this is actually more evidence for Gold Ducat as a as a straight up sociopath. Yeah, because yeah. To me, if you look at this and say, okay, well, if Cisco and, and, and his crew succeed, the Klingons and the Federation are not going to be at war. The Klingons can devote uh, the resources that they would have been, you know, split, you know, fighting a war on two fronts with the Cardassians and the Klingons mm-hmm. or with, with the Federation. Now they just have to focus on the Cardassians. So actually, if Gul Dukat helping Cisco and the crew do this and they succeed, that makes the war with the Klingons on the Cardassian side that much more difficult. I don't no, maybe so, this all, but I also I don't it's, think it's, that he cares though. I think that, that what Goldukat is looking and this again, this is why I think it's more evidence for Goldukat yeah. as a sociopath, is that he doesn't care about Cardassia. He wants he cares to about be a his own power. Now. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, he he's looking at this as an opportunity mm. to to you know uh, bolster his own power yeah. and to bolster his own you know his own support. Really, yeah, I guess he does see it. You know, I. I Again, there is no there is no downside to this. Goldicott will never do a situation willingly where he sees that he sees that he can come out worse from it. So yeah, I don't think he loses anything. No matter no matter. Obviously, we as viewers 
know that it's probably going to go one way. But for Goldicott, any direction that this situation spins into is going to be a win for him. I suppose that's true, yeah. So let's talk about Odo then, because I find him really interesting in this episode. And I think that this is Odo is probably his his saddest and, yeah. and, and most depressed. Well, he is drinking you know and not even like what what is he even drinking in the beginning it looks like beer or something i don't know yeah but he's it's carbonated it has bubbles he has this great little thing about bubbles and how um food and drink are very seductive and he finally understands yeah but he's he's essentially drowning his sorrows i mean he is using the pretense of it's enjoyable to he's become a food and drink addict you know really that's he's depression he's dealing with the severe depression and loss yeah i mean i just need that line reading where cisco comes into quarks and uh uh, ever offers him a drink and you know cisco says well i'm on duty and Odo just says something like i'm not you know and it's it's very the line yeah it's very very subtle but it's very sad yeah and i think even cisco says like you're always on duty and like yeah no yeah i was but (laughs) well i guess you know for 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 odo he's realizing that he can't really be on duty all the time anymore i mean he needs to sleep he needs to eat he needs to assumedly poop and you know do all the things he does need to i mean he he it's subtle but he talks talks about you know that as being disgusting at first you know and you know yeah i mean i I think pooping is kind of gross you know and i've been doing it my whole life you know imagine just suddenly having to start that you know especially after odo knows full well and has thought of it as distasteful and something that he's lucky he doesn't have to do yeah yeah and i think that he's he's really i mean that's why i think it's it's so weird that cisco insists that he goes on this mission because Hmm. there's a lot of security people that they could have bashir make it look like a klingon yeah it doesn't have to be odo and you know obviously odo is instrumental in revealing that martok and not galron is the changeling and so of course he does serve a very important plot function but, but this is him giving him a job to get out of his funk because it's like you need to do something. So here we go. You know, this is something you can't fuck up. Yeah. And I think that this is uh, I mean, I don't know. How are you feeling about Odo? I feel kind of sad for him. I feel really bad for him. But, you know, at the same time, I also I, I know he's going to be OK just because he does have all ha, he does have everybody you know, looking out after him, you know, Kira is, you know, even though things between him and Kira may have, you know, cooled a little bit and we haven't really seen them interacting yet this season that much. Um, no, I no, mean, in these, I mean, it's only two episodes since he's, you know, got in his humanity back, but you know, they, they're, they're holding that conversation for a little while. Yeah. Odo, um, Kira, was Kira even in this episode? Um, I'm trying to think maybe only for a small moment. Yeah, and she was only in the ship for a, for a very brief moment yeah. in that scene well, with Clark, uh, Bashir, and Odo. As we say, you know, the actress herself is pregnant at this point, so, you know, we can't necessarily blame her for not wanting to... Yeah, take over a large... <laughs> yeah, thing. exactly. You know, I, I figure once she, you know, has her baby and, uh, you know, they'll... they'll Obviously, in the next few weeks, we're going to have the baby episode. That so. is true because she is noticeably more pregnant. Now. Yeah. So, you know, I in the, in a couple months, that'll that'll change, I figured. I mean, I think that it's it's I don't know. It's it's really um, it's an interesting change for, for the character of Odo. And it's a really sad change, I think, because, yeah. you know, he is someone that is kind of lost right now and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And I think that for him, 
you know, he was always using his job and using his abilities yeah. as a as a security, you know, detective or whatever um, to really focus himself, and and that's how he defined himself to a large degree. And I think that he, you know, especially in I think the the, the previous season where he was really coming to terms with being a changeling, he was starting mm-hmm. to, to to really revel in it. You know, he was having yeah. all of those you know, shape-shifting objects in his quarters. And he, you know, he was finally doing it for enter to entertain others and to get joy out of that. Yeah. And I think that's, what's so sad about it is that towards the end of the last season, over the, over the course of the previous four seasons, you saw Odo sort of open up a little more and, and become more of the person that I think he wants to be. Yeah. And, and now, now suddenly that's, that's, that's taken away from him. Yeah. Some of that stuff he can keep with him, but all of, you know, the rest does, you know, he can't. And, yeah, when we see him having to do infiltration that's not based on just his shape-shifting powers, he has trouble at first with it. He does, and I think that um, it makes sense, though, because, yeah. of course, uh, Odo is still Odo. He still has his brain. He still has those abilities. And but he, it's it's but, almost like you lose a limb and you well, have to learn to write with your other hand. Right, that's exactly what, yeah. what it is. He's not comfortable. He doesn't think that he can do it because he doesn't have his shape-shifting powers yeah. anymore. And at the end of the day, of course, he can in this episode— comes down strongly on the side yeah. that Odo is going to be okay. Yeah, he's he needs to relearn some skills and, you know, learn some new things. And, yeah, but it's going to take some time for him. Poor Odo. I mean, Podo. Podo. Aww. Yeah, I... I like this episode. I mean, I think oh, that, that I, and and I, it was a very good episode. Like, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I think that this is a very almost lighthearted episode in a weird way. And yes, yeah. you get that very intense scene with with Martok and Odo, the Martok changeling and Odo. Mm. You get that very intense scene with all of the Klingons pulling out their blasters and yeah. and just killing it. And uh, well, we see two dead changelings in both of these episodes. Yeah, and uh, you know the the actual Klingon. That's what I like about it is is there's no. They could have played this as a very dangerous mission that would have gone very wrong. But I think that there is a residual feeling amongst the Klingons and a residual feeling amongst the Federation and, and Starfleet that they are they are friends and allies that have, you know, are, are having an argument. And yeah. this episode is really them working out the argument. Hmm. And so I think that may be why it doesn't feel so earth shattering. And that's fair. Yeah. And I think that, but it's nice because it shows that, you know, all of the Federation, uh, all the, all the main characters that we see dressed up as Klingons in this episode are very comfortable being there Yeah, and they're drinking the blood wine and they're, you know, and it's, it's all very, it's all fine. <laughs> it's, it, I like that their, you know, night initiation ceremony is basically a frat hazing. Like yeah. they, they have to stay up all night and drink. The order of the bat yeah, <laughs> yeah. And finally, one of my favorite wharf lines ever. It is a Vulcan toy for children. <laughs> you had to add the four children because, you know, otherwise yeah. you don't know. What's a toy? I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about the ship. Okay. Uh, I really liked this episode very much because um, it's the kind of episode where it was everything was inevitable from the beginning. This is, this is a tragedy episode. Um, yeah. This is... You know, when they reveal at the end that it was a changeling that was on the ship, it makes 100%, you know, sense. It was the most obvious answer of all, and it was so obvious that, you know, both the characters and I didn't even think about it. And I really like the guest star who plays the uh, the Vorta in this episode. She and Avery Brooks work amazingly together. Um, 
it's an episode that has a lot of, you know, tense action-y moments, but is ultimately about these characters failing in a way that, you know, they fail in a way that them not list, them not 100% believing in the Federation credo, or at least the Star Trek credo in a way. I mean, it, it ends with this, they have this moment of, if we had just been honest with each other and trusted that, you know, we would have negotiated right. Because this ends in about the worst case scenario for both sides, you know. They recognize it's a clusterfuck. Neither of them was willing to make the right, you know, the first decision. Maybe making that first step of trust was the wrong decision to make 36 hours previously. Um, there is the, – everybody's left with the feeling that they don't really know. And it was – it was – it's a very sad episode, and I liked it for that. I don't think it's as good as you think it is. Okay, and I and maybe that's this is one of those first time watching situations. I mean, yeah, it could be. I, I think that for me, this episode, all of the stuff on the ship is pretty good. I don't think the Munez stuff works very well. Mm, I yeah, and I don't really like the Vorta. Huh. I think that she's dressed ridiculously, number one. She's wearing way too much makeup, and I, she's showing cleavage. And I'm just like, why? why? Well, I thought that was part of the point of— Like, that's just—it's really bad. Like, it's just bad. I just, she reminds me of an original series kind of alien in a way, and I guess that's what I appreciated about it. But Yeah, but it doesn't fit in this show, that's really. That's fair. And but... I also don't— you know, this is something that is, I, I had never clicked onto this, but I think I actually agree with this, that um, this was not a favorite episode of, of the writers either. Huh. And one of the reasons why is that they thought it was a mistake to actually go outside of the ship. And I get what they're saying, because when yeah. they're in the ship, if they had just been stuck on the ship for the entire episode, it would have felt extremely tense. Yeah. But you get these couple of scenes where Cisco goes outside and talks to the Vorta and it kind of sucks a lot of the air and a lot of the tension out of the episode. I agree with that. The... Scenes which are just in the ship are extremely claustrophobic. And I mean, a lot of it, you know, that one bit when they're all flipping at each other, Worf is all, you know, he needs to die. You know, Dax is making all these really nasty jokes. And, you know, finally Cisco, you know, snaps it all. Like, this is that moment. They are all going crazy in this. They are doing this, you know, the, 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 the Jemadar are doing this bombing campaign, just which is. You know, that is a torture technique, you know, just loud, yeah. un unrelentless sounds Absolutely. like the, the 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 crew that we know and love are starting to unravel. And, yeah, it does it does deflate that a bit to go a little outside of it. It would feel much more difficult once they get out. I, I agree with that point. Maybe they could have made an ante room that she could have beamed into or something, but... I don't know. They actually said that they didn't want to show her at all or they shouldn't have shown her at all. She just would have been a voice. And I think that that would have been much more yeah. effective. You know, and it, again, it's not something that I ever clicked onto, but I do agree with that. And I think that, I mean, frankly, I don't know. Cisco, Cisco's thing at the end of the episode about, oh, this all could have been avoided if we well, had just trusted each other. Like, yeah, I guess. But why are you beating yourself up for not trusting Avorda? Well, that's you know that's the other thing because the, <laughs> nobody makes necessarily the wrong decision. That's that's I think the point of the episode is that sometimes things are going to be you're going to have a successful mission that things still get pretty fucked. I mean, he loses five people. The 
Vorta loses the entirety of, you know, the Jem'Hadar and the Changeling. Like, even though Sisko gets the ship, and at the beginning, all Sisko wants to do is get the ship, it's the intelligence find of the century, and Starfleet, it's implied, views it as the as the treasure that it is. Um, you know, even though, from Starfleet's perspective, this goes as wonderfully as it can, it's still something that five people died at, and that there was... Again, there was this option to if, – if both of them had backed down and just done what they wanted, you know, maybe it would have been better. But at the same time, that wasn't exactly an option. That was probably the wrong thing to do too. It's a situation where there is no right thing. Well, and it just seems like, you know, number one, they keep going into the Gamma Quadrant and runabout. And, and they, they wanted mine in wh- the Gamma why, Quadrant now. Why do they want to do this? Like why does this seem like a good idea at all? Like I know they say that they're three weeks outside of Dominion space and whatever, but – I don't know, guys. Maybe you should just lay off for a while. Yeah. Uh, that, that's always kind of a problem with the show. And in the general. show doesn't necessarily fault them for that. No, it doesn't. Like, it's, it's not like the show is implying, like, every time they go, I mean, you and I have noticed every time they go into the Gamma Quadrant, some fucked up shit happens. And, you know, after the fifth or sixth time, like, if you don't need to go into there, just don't fucking go into there. Uh, especially not for just to get, just to get some, you know, minerals. But, you know, the characters in the show don't seem to realize that, you know, it's not like that's the Im- implications of this. Yeah. And I think that that I, I don't know. I like the setup for the episode a lot. I think that the the ship crashing and all the gem are being dead. I mean, we don't really know what yeah. happened and the changeling is on the ship and they don't under- they don't realize that until the very end. And that all works really well. And I like that part of it. I think that, again, I, I don't. You know, it's funny because we've had a f- couple of episodes, we've had maybe three episodes that kind of explore the Jem'Hadar, kind of talk about what their culture is like, what the people are like, and I think this episode may have worked better if we had a better understanding of who the Vorta were. And that's very fair. Because at this point, you know, and I think it's, again, it's a problem with showing this Vorta. Her name was Kalana, I think. And so Kalana is a character that isn't really a character. We don't. Yeah. Get a sense of her as a person. She's playing a role. I mean, it kind of makes sense that she's doing that because she is in a negotiation with a hostile force. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, I think we need to kind of understand who the Vora are as a as a people before we can really get a sense of whether or not she's being uh, 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 true. Yeah, I get what you mean. Like she... Is she taking on this persona where she's very heavily made up, wearing a sexy dress and, you know, being very charming and a little naive, you know, and, oh, this is my first aside, you know, have some food. Is that, you know, her trying to disarm him, flirt her way into – because it's it's very much implied that for everything that the Vorta and the – that the Dominion knows about the, the Federation, they, you know, their data and the reality don't quite match up. And, you know, maybe, which, which, which is weird, though, because you would think that they would know that this wouldn't work on Cisco. Well, that's and again, yeah. I think this is another example of the episode just not quite being smart enough or being. It's a yeah, little, it's a little it's a little more stupid than it thinks it is. It's the kind of thing. Yeah. I, for, for my money, I think that that it would have been a really interesting take on the character of Kaylana to to have her be kind of crappy at her job. Yeah. And I think that that might be the implication here. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I don't think the episode really realizes that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, the the they don't necessarily take either Cisco or Kalana. They don't give them enough maybe fault for their situation, you know. 
I, I think so. And I think that, you know, Cisco in this episode is, is obviously uh, has a, a very strict role and we know mm-hmm. a lot about Cisco. We know who he is as a person. Yeah. We know at this point we, we believe in Cisco. We think he's making the right decision, even if five people have died. Totally fine. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course, this is a good intelligence find and they do want the ship very much. I don't know if I quite buy the fact that the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar would, I don't know. It feels very strange for the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar to be taking a lot of time and trying to kind of, you know, quote unquote, torture them out of the ship. Uh, they're in this siege situation, yeah. kind of like an Alamo thing or something, and they're bombing them, but they're not really bombing them. And they're obviously just trying to drive them a little yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah. They're not sleeping. It's hot. But they have this changeling that they must know is dying or not doing well. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I feel like yeah, the, Feder- the Federation has never given the Dominion, I think, a lot of evidence that they would torture or kill a changeling. And so yeah. to me... It would have been a much more interesting episode if the Vorta had been upfront with Cisco and said, "Hey, there's a founder on board. We would like them back." Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then having to make that decision about what what do they do? Do they give the you yeah? Know, obviously, they would. But then are they going to get killed? Like you know, there's these yeah kind yeah of yeah. You know, here's here's the thing. Like, I mean, I definitely believe that Cisco would not, you know, keep the changeling as a hostage or torture it. You know, if he's told, you know, we have a dying changeling on on the ship, well, we've got a dying crew member too, so, you know, it will we'll call it even. Like, Cisco would do that. There are other captains in Starfleet who would not give that order. And I think the events of Paradise Lost and Homefront, you know, imply that certainly if that captain had been on the mission no he he's got a fucking changeling hostage you know um they i i and i do think it is possibly legitimate for the vorta to not necessarily trust and frankly the the founders wouldn't you know necessarily let that situation go so they are going from that limited perspective of well this is what we do and they can't really understand the federation's you know generosity and all of that but um, yeah. to a degree, yeah, I, I do, I, I, I do agree with that. We, it's, I don't know. It more goes with the founders getting this. The backstory we've heard about the changelings is that solids were really mean to them in high school, and now that they're adults, they're, you know, they want to own everybody. You know, they, they are the they're, they're Donald Trump. Actually, yeah, they're they're a nerd who gets bullied and then owns a company and treats his employees like shit because then he can get back of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, I think it is definitely a thing that, you know, someone associated with the founders is immediately going to believe that, you know, well, anybody else would, you know, dominate in this situation. So at the same time, you know, they, they... Star Trek loves its time limits. You know, the Dominion is on it. You know, the, sorry, the Defiant is going to be here in two days or whatever like that. We have a certain amount of time before Munez bleeds out and similar thing going on with the Changeling. All right, so they're going to bombard it for 15 hours. They know the Changeling is going to die in 36. They keep bombing it till hour 34, you know. Right, right. I, they don't – it's true. They don't really change tactics again. They just kind of get to that point and hope 
they're going to surrender before anything. Yeah, I think the, the I think that what we've shown here is that the episode is perhaps a little underwritten. <laughs> and maybe that's it. I mean, I can think— Or overwritten. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, you know— I mean, I can picture a version with just, you know— Kayla's voice where she's talking and, you know, 10 hours into the bombing, you know, we could make this stop, you know, just let us give us what we want, that kind of stuff. Like you would think that, you know, that would be better. And maybe maybe putting a face on her does weaken it because she would be literally this, putting a face on her. Yeah, because she, you know, rather than making her just this creepy disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That said, I really did like the scenes between the two of them. Yeah, they're okay. I, I don't. I mean, I think that I don't know. I think it, I don't know that there's much else to say about that character because she's not really a character, and that's fair. So, so yeah, it, so it's not like she's going to be a recur. No, 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 no. Um, I think this is a really good episode for Dax, though, and I mm. think that uh, she has a lot of really good scenes in this episode, and she's very understated. But I think that she is. I don't know. I, I just I like her in this episode a lot. We're I, I find that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, Terry Farrell couldn't quite do Dax. By now, I mean, we haven't said that in months. And, you know, maybe, you know, she needed a season or two to click in. But no, this is I really like I, I always liked the character. And now I really like the character. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I'm having trouble articulating exactly why I think this is such a good episode for Mm -hmm. Dax. I mean, this isn't a Dax episode. She doesn't save the day. She's not really doing anything. But her attitude, her demeanor, the way that she's talking to everyone. Well, yeah, it's very she does that very subtly. Like she's making the it really wasn't until, uh, you know, Cisco does the, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but no one's laughing that you realize she's been a total asshole this entire. Yeah. But but it's again, it was really subtle and it, it makes complete sense why this is how she would react to the situation. And this is, you know. Again, they're all slowly becoming unhinged as as is designed to be. I mean, I don't know if I completely agree with what I'm about to say, which is interesting because I don't know if I've ever disagreed with myself before on the podcast. But <laughs> I feel like in a, in a certain sense, Dax is in a Star Trek episode and the rest of them aren't. You know, like we've never really seen characters pushed to this limit before. I mean, yes. maybe like Picard and Chain of Command or something when he was being tortured by the Cardassians. But for the most part. And that's just one character. This is, uh, you know, four. It's hot. There's no food. Yeah. I don't even know if they have water. Like. Cisco at one point says we're filthy. They're you know? dirty. Where, where are they going to the bathroom? And they've got this noise going on. They've got Nunes a man dying. dying loudly. And, you know, probably his wound has gone septic. Everybody yeah. smells horrible. Yeah. And so this is a situation. This is a very tense, real situation that, you know, Starfleet, even at its its most tense, is usually pretty comfortable because mm-hmm. they're on their own starships. And mm. so, and this is something we haven't really seen too much of in Star Trek before. Um, so Dax is able to sort of still have a pretty good attitude about it, but the rest of them, especially Cisco, are just extremely uncomfortable. Well, I wouldn't say she has a good attitude about it. Like she's just being really nasty. Like she's not making jokes; she's making snide, sarcastic comments. You know, she's not. You know, she's a- after a while. She's not. You know, Maybe and maybe at first she's trying to keep up a good front, and you know we're going to, you know I'm just going to make jokes about this. We're okay, you know we're going to get out of this. But especially by that point, her jokes have a very dark edge to them, and yeah, it's man. one that's not helping. 
Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't I don't really get the sense that she's trying to be like an, an asshole. But no, I, I think it's just how she's letting off steam. You know, it's not that she's trying to hurt somebody. It's just she's she's in a very dark place. And so her humor is going to be very dark to compensate. And I don't know. I don't know that her humor is dark, though. Hmm. I, I don't I don't really. I mean, she makes that one joke about the boys fighting, but that doesn't seem that dark to mm. me. I mean, I, I you know, I don't know. It's 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 not. She's not helping the situation, as Cisco says. No one is laughing. You know, maybe and maybe you would be. You know, maybe that would be for you. What would take you out of the situation? But is that what's going to help Worf? Is that what's going to help O'Brien, who's worried about his wife, kid, uh, you know, kid on the way and surrogate sister, you know, is that what's going to help Cisco, who's, you know. Well, I do think it's a little weird that I don't know. I don't know if O'Brien's really worried about them. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to get out of the situation. I mean, O'Brien is worried about Munez dying. And of course, but of course, O'Brien's cracking jokes. I mean, the thing about O'Brien, of course, is that when Munez is first injured, he's cracking jokes and making light of the situation and trying to keep Munez's spirits up. And then, of course, as he's very interesting because he doesn't call him Kike at the very beginning of the episode and then slowly and yeah. I didn't know this but that's a nickname for Enrique so okay that's what I assume um, that I was like Kike what the hell What's he, is he calling him a drag is he a drag queen what's <laughs> happening here uh, <laughs> that um, you know he, he slowly loses that humor he loses that edge yeah. he loses calling him Yunez and he starts calling him this nickname you know this is a character that we've seen a couple of times before is he yeah he was in like a few episodes but he doesn't really make much of a that's the pro. yeah I I I'm thinking about the the you know the engineer from was that the first season uh, who was trying to kill uh, Vedic Burrell at the time. Um, oh and yeah, and we, we'd seen her only one time, but she had made a strong impression on me. Munez didn't, and maybe if I had you know, it's it is definitely the kind of thing where if I had noticed him as a character, you know, it would have been a more devastating impact. That said, within the episode itself, you know, number one, it's. It's it's not ridiculous that you know, you know this is the kind of relationship that O'Brien does have with the people who work with him. You know he does have very friendly relationships with him. We can also assume that because of the tenseness of the situation, his death becomes a very major thing. And in general, the Federation doesn't want to lose people. Yeah, I think that um, I think that Munez is a little bit of a missed opportunity for the show because. Uh, I do remember one of the episodes he was in was, um, I forget the name of it, but it was the episode where O'Brien spends 20 years in that virtual prison. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, when when O'Brien comes back to the station and he's on the work crew, Munez yeah. is actually the one who's like, hey, okay. you'll be the boss again soon, you know. But the the issue really here is that, number one, Munez is not a very memorable character. He doesn't really have many lines. Yeah. And the actor is not... I mean, he does a fine job. I'm not saying he's a bad actor or anything, but he's just. But not, he's not a great actor. You know, he's, he's not particularly striking in any. Way. Exactly, he's not. He's not calling attention to himself in any way. And even so, just physically, he's a fine-looking guy, but it's not like he's particularly noticed. He's a very nondescript person. Exactly. In a lot of ways, which you know. Yeah, and I mean, but but think to like Eddington, for example. He's yeah. also a very nondescript person, but you notice Eddington for for some reason because the actor who's playing him gives him some. I guess the real issue is I think the actor who plays. Eddington gives Eddington an internal life mm. and I don't really get a sense that Munez yeah. was ever really given an internal life and so when he's in this episode and he dies it's kind of like wait who was that you know I, I have to say the second he shot frankly the second that you know you see the establishing of the relationship between him and O'Brien but certainly once he gets shot 
it's inevitable that he is going to die. Yeah, it's got a story. very like ri- bridge on the river quag like yeah, to it or something. Um, I mean, to a degree, he is the you know this is the opposite of you know Cisco is in that situation on uh, Starship Down. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, with Kira. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. In a way, Munoz has to die because you know it's making up for Cisco living in that episode. But um, just as we know, Cisco is not going to die at the end of the episode. You know, Munoz probably is. I would have. There is, there was possibility of hope for him during some of the episode. It is possible that this would turn out to be that episode. Yeah. But the his death is an inevitability. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, this episode might be more interesting for, for what it portends more than anything else. Yeah, and I mean, I I like that I like that the episode, I thought the episode was going to end a couple more times than it go. Like, they're tow, you know, they get off the ship and they're towing it in. That could have been an ending to the episode. But then you have the scene between Dax and Cisco yeah. where they... It's an extremely – it's a fairly long scene where they're just talking about you know the experience of losing. And frankly, if – Which the, is something that the Star Trek has never really talked about that much. And I would say it's worth the – even if the episode is a little underwritten, it's worth it to get to that point because that is a very – you know, we – what part of what it reminds me of was Troy's captain's exam, Troy's uh, officer exam. Um, when she, you know, the solution to our thing has to be to directly order Jordy into a situation where he will die. Yeah, um, yeah. And in that, you know, in the Kobayashi Maru, you know, yes, Starfleet wants you to deal with the, you know, when if how do you deal with an unwinnable situation? How do you face, you know, you know. But we, you know, we, so we've addressed the uh, I, the issue of giving orders that is going to cause somebody's death. Yeah. But this wasn't a direct like. It's not like Cisco ordered these people into a deadly situation, you know, or a situation where you know he knew that you know they were going to get back. This was they were just casualties of a mission. This was just shit that happened, you know. And it's not like he can you know rethink about that order and say, well, that was a wrong order to do. There's nothing really he would have done would or could have done differently or even should have done differently and yet it's still he even says as much yeah and it's still but it still leaves with the deaths of five people the utter failure of both sides and you know the recognition that life in starfleet might be really shitty but that's the job you know dax says you know all those people volunteered you know and were very proud to be in starfleet and knew that you know this yes maybe dying on a forgotten planet is not the ideal situation but they know that they know that that's a that's on the table and probably likely for their position yeah and i think that the other thing the other implication too of course is that you know at the end of the day starfleet is probably more dangerous than just hanging out on earth but you know it's not a military organization no. so so it's not something that you know i don't think starfleet officers are dropping dead left and right all the no, time no 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 you know and and that that is also the thing too i mean well, i well that's think- when you have a, when you have a group of elite well trained personnel who work together very well yeah casualties will be towards a minimum i mean but at the same time as Dax point out, that doesn't necessarily make it easy, and yeah. it probably shouldn't be. Yeah. But I also like that that's not even where the episode ends, because then it ends with that final scene where, you know, Worf and O'Brien manage. You know, they they resolve their their argument, which we know again was caused by the heat, by the stress, by the torture, and you know they're having a wake for they're sitting shiva for you know 
Munez. And it's a nice moment because it's the beginning of the Warf O'Brien romance. Oh, that's adorable. Um, but no, like if this episode still ends on a sad note, but there is that at least that moment of catharsis that at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, they are able to honor their dead friend who died bravely, and you know, at least. And frankly, that that Klingon tradition that Worf made up sounds like it sounds like bullshit. He sounds oh. like he made it up. When oh he yeah, in there, but you know, <laughs> like I think that that yeah, I, I I think that at the you know that that scene is really nice because you know Worf was the one in the entire episode who basically was like, we should just fucking kill him already. He's well, dead. Rem- He's dead, and. uh you know, at the end of the episode, Worf realizes that he was probably not being very helpful. Well, you know, I mean, for Worf, number one, just the fa- you know the fact that this man was going to die and may have deserved a mercy kill was you know doesn't d- doesn't contradict the fact that Munez died as a warrior, right? You know, deserves yeah, 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 honor. Yeah. Um, and frankly, I mean, this is you know that that's basically what Worf's brother asked to have done to him. And, you know, this, when Worf gets the most pissed at, you know, O'Brien calling him out on that and, like, how how dare you say that, you know, when Worf has essentially performed this kind of a thing and would have performed it. and Well, Worf comes from a very different cultural tradition than O'Brien, and, of yeah. course, they're going to have disagreements. Oh, well, yeah. Um, and, of course, at the end of the day, Munez did make his condition worse by jumping up and saving O'Brien's life in the middle of the episode well, as well. Yeah. So that also well, has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, the ship is, is okay, um, but it it has some some problems that I feel like it's just a little bit of a missed opportunity. I guess it's the kind it's of— a, ep- It's a good episode. It's not a great episode. I, I guess I really liked it because I was, I was clicking on where it was taking me emotionally and uh, thematically. And if the plot didn't quite hold together, it didn't it didn't start to crack until, frankly, this conversation, which you know happens sometimes. You yeah. know, sometimes it's not till you know two hours later that you start to realize this did. You know, I don't feel like that changed my enjoyment of watching the episode at all. Okay, good. Well. It, yeah. If you have any thoughts on whether or not you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow where you can support our podcasting endeavors monetarily if you feel so inclined. Our social media username where you should follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is trekaboutshow. And of course, as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. We do not have a new one to read, uh, but... uh, we would read it if you sent one. Yeah, so so do that, please. Next week, we are going to be talking about... Uh, and, and also, I remember this is really, this is actually kind of a side point, but uh, I think back in like season two, when we had like all those the episodes, yeah. and I was like, nah, the titles get better. Uh, so next week, we have <laughs> Looking for Parmac in All the Wrong Places, mm. and uh, Nor the Battle to the Strong. So, so those are titles. Those are long titles. Long, long titles. For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Funnily enough, Deep Space Nine has an episode title that is longer than that. When the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. No. <laughs>